so last week, um, Christine Skull did a great job of giving us like the meta narrative of all of Scripture <laughs> related to God's covenant. I don't know for the is anyone here last week? Um, yeah, so you saw, you remember seeing the color coded. I mean, literally Genesis to Revelation, really just highlighting for us how. Um, God is a covenant keeper. We are not. (laughs) And that all through the Old Testament, we see how the Israelites, God's chosen people, a nation formed out of Abraham who was called by God, how they failed time and time again to keep covenant. But that resonates with us, doesn't it? Um, And so within that, and at the end of that time period of the the Old Testament, we see in one scroll, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, And in this passage, Christine highlighted three movements of leaders who all failed in one way or another, highlighting that Jesus makes a better Zerubbabel, Jesus makes a better Ezra, and Jesus makes a better thing in mind. Today we're going to focus on Zerubbabel. So now, that was the overview, and we're doing a deeper dive into each. And so this is the second of a seven-part sermon series on Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'm going to try this clicker thing. New thing. Come on. All right. And so um, you can look on the screen behind me. Let's read from Ezra 3, verses 10 through 13, out loud together. Can you see it? When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good, his love toward Israel and towards forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud, when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. Okay, so a mixed bag here, right? (laughs) Um, There's uh, worship and praise of the Lord at the laying of the foundation. And just to give a really, really quick backdrop to God's people leading up to this moment. Um, I mentioned that they are a nation born um, from Abraham who is called by God. They go into captivity under the Egyptians, right? And then that's for 400 years. And then the Lord delivers them through the leadership of Moses by the power of the Spirit out of Egypt where they're in the wilderness for 40 years before they enter the promised land. The land promised by God to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? 
And so this is a land full of uh, milk and honey is the language of the scripture just saying. It's a land of abundance, right? It's a land of overflowing and blessing from the Lord. And the Lord kept saying to them, right, if you keep my commands, you will receive and experience thereby all this blessing, all this inheritance. And uh, even then, right, it wasn't as much an earning from the Lord. He was giving it. It was there to be had, right? But it's the way of receiving from the Lord. It's saying, I trust you and I take you at your word. I receive your word and all the blessings therein, right? Okay, and so, but they did not obey the Lord. Um, they broke the commands of the Lord. They oppressed the poor. And the prophets came to them with the word of the Lord to say that you are going to go into exile as a consequence of your sin. They go into exile under Babylonian rule. The Babylonians, when we get to this passage, have recently been overtaken by the Persians, who now rule over Israel. Does that make sense? Okay. So now, they're under the rule of Persia, and King Cyrus is the pagan Persian king who is ruling over them. And we also saw that Jeremiah gave this prophetic decree promising they would return to Jerusalem. But know that it's King Cyrus, this pagan king, who hears and heeds the word of the Lord in this context, in this passage. And so we see that even a pagan king's heart is like channels of water in the Lord's hand. Amen? Um, Solomon said that in Proverbs, and we see that play out here. He even sends them with supplies. He's like, their God said to do this in these writings, and I'm, I'm for it. I'm with it. We'll do that. And so he sends them off. Zerubbabel leads the way. So even as the Lord stirred Cyrus's heart, he stirred the hearts of tens of thousands of Israelites. And they go through Zerubbabel's leadership and other leaders back to the land. But you notice at the end of this passage, this kind of like plateauing. It's like, oh, this is awesome, right? The foundation's laid. And it's like, wait, what, what's going on here? What, what's with these older priests who saw the first temple, um, you know, and its dedication? And they felt differently about it. And so I want to look at a brief excerpt from the first temple dedication. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. A little bit different, right? So, to give some context here, at this point in time, there has been what is known as Davidic worship. David had organized, it said, according to the, in the first passage we read, right, it was according to David's um, organization of the people, of skilled musicians and singers, who would worship day and night, 24-7, for the last 40 years. That's the context for this passage. Okay? And so it was in that context, as it is for us today, in day and night worship and prayer, where the voice of the Lord is like many waters. We're going to have up a room tonight, right? 
And the voice of the Lord will be like many waters. We will hear better together because we chose to gather, right? And we're in worship and prayer. And so this context is worship and prayer. Forty years. The voice of the Lord is so clear to David. Number one, David gets a heart to build God a house. Right? He's like, you are so worthy. You are so good. I want to build you a house. And God says, um, that's awesome. He's like, you know, like, I don't need a house built by human hands. But, you know, I, that honors me and blesses me. You are a man of bloodshed and war. So your son Solomon, the king in this passage, will build the house. But the Lord gives David fresh revelation, details of this house. Pattern after pattern. Okay? This is significant. Because the voice of the Lord spoke what to build. And the people built this in detail. And here, in this uh, passage with King Solomon in the first temple, in its dedication, we see. And it was in this context that Solomon would say, Lord, give me. The Lord said, ask me for, what do you want for me? And he said, not riches, but better, a better translation than wisdom really is, an inclining ear. Because he learned from David, and in the context of day and night worship and prayer, the value of the voice of the Lord. Okay, so that was the context that the older priests experienced. These older priests didn't just experience a temple dedication. <laughs> they experienced decades of worship and prayer. Then they go into exile. Then they come back and they're like, this is it? There's got to be more. I know there is more. I've experienced more, right? And so, um, so catch this, Zerubbabel, um, you know, is following the words of this pagan king to come back and do this. And God's presence doesn't come like it did in the first temple. And, and by the way, um, I'm reminded Solomon's name means peace, and it would say of his kingship that his 40-year reign would have peace on every side. Guys, the protection that comes from the presence of God and how he inhabits our praises. This is no small thing. So, you know, this was before the exile, right? The days of David and Solomon. And this is what God longs for. David was not a man after God's own heart because he was perfect. He was a man after God's own heart because God is drawn to be with his people and David organized them to host him. That is why he was a man after God's own heart. So here's Zerubbabel. The context is totally different. Back to our passage in Zerubbabel, right? Back to the post-exile. They're, they're back in Jerusalem. They're dedicating the foundation of this temple. And the, they've heard through this pagan king this word of the Lord promised. And they're performing this ritual. But catch this. They're imitating, not responding to the glory of God. They're imitating that which was. They're saying, the Lord, they're practicing it, and it's not bad, but it's not the same, right? The Lord is good, and His love endures forever. They're saying it. They're repeating the words. But what God wants is to draw near and inhabit His people and their praises. Again, they're not doing that yet, really, right? They're just coming back, and they're just, and God is, God is with them, and He's for them, it's just, this, is, this is the context. So, for my first 25 years of faith, having grown up in the church, coming to faith as a child, I spent so much time memorizing other people's encounters. <laughs> I knew the stories, right? 
I knew these, some of these passages, you know, and I'm so grateful for the foundation that was laid in my life. I've shared that in different ways in past sermons. But the Lord, my, my heart was totally divided. And what the Lord wanted to do for me and what he wants to do for you is to come in and fill our hearts with this glory that our heart would be made whole and undivided, right? That we wouldn't be living for God and striving for God like Zerubbabel and the other Israelite leaders were in their day. But we would be living like Solomon and David more so in the way that they lived from God's presence. They lived from God's presence. And that is what God wants for us. And so it's like I've experienced, I said 25 years some of you are like doing the math. You're like, you're not 25 years old though. So like, what does that mean? Like, so, but, so I have experienced God's glory. I have encountered his presence. And so I can relate to both of these as I'm sure many or all of you can. But it's just, it's just like, this is where, this is where they are in Zerubbabel's day. And so fast forward, um, there are uh, Jews in the land who had never gone into exile. Okay? And they come in the beginning of chapter 4, the next chapter. They come and they say, hey, we would love to help you guys out. And this is the response from the Zerubbabel and the other leaders. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Now, there's a sense in which they're being faithful here, but they're not receiving the love of God through the help of their brothers and sisters, right? They're keeping a distance, because a lot of times what happens when you get oppressed is that you give what you have and oppress others unless your mindset changes. Zerubbabel's name means planted in Babylon, and he evidences his namesake. This slave mindset in circling the wagons, in territorialism and pride, and he keeps them. He doesn't allow them to help him. So this is a slide that, that Christine made for us last week that I said, hey, I, I'd like to use that again because this is helpful. So here's a, here's a recap of Zerubbabel's leadership that Christine gave us last week. Called to build the temple or the church as we know it today, the new temple. Uh, so it's a foreshadowing, right? Conflict with authorities as to whether he has the right. Chooses to prove his case, and the consequence is a 17-year delay. Conclusion. There is the completion of the temple, and Zerubbabel was not mentioned again. Um, and so, I just want to say on that, that when you're approved by God, you don't have to show people that you're accepted. You don't have to show people that you're significant or you belong there, right, to rebuild this temple. You don't have to show people in your insecurity that you're safe or put up protectors on your own strength that you're safe. You know, in the, in the, you know, the famous verse, some of you uh, probably know it, is um, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? Well, you know the context for that verse was the prophet Zechariah about Zerubbabel. And we catch in this passage a glimpse into some, some greater context of Zerubbabel doing things in his own life, doing things in his own strength, not hearing the Lord. You know, after Ezra and Nehemiah, there's an intertestament period 
in terms of the timeline, not the order of the, in the, of the books in the Bible, but in terms of the timeline, there's a 400-year period between the Old and New Testament in which the voice of the Lord is not heard in the land. And I would say, where, like, that we know of, like, we don't have any writings of that, right? We have Malachi and then John the Baptist is the next prophet. And so my point is, they are not hearing God. There is not a context of worship, right? And God loves His people. He's restoring His people. But they would need help. They would need something more. And hurt people hurt people. Oppressed people reinforce limitations even once they're free. Due to, mis- due to understandable mistrust and trauma. The Lord's essentially saying to Zerubbabel and Israel, come out of Babylon. Come out of her. That's a verse from Revelation. So there's all kind of layers to that, right? Come out of her. Come out of her influences. Come out of her ways. Zerubbabel, I want to give you a new name. And by that, what I mean, that's not in the Bible. By that, I mean, I want to give you a new heart. (laughs) Right? I want to do what I did at first. You know, in David and Solomon. Right? I want to do what I'm going to do to give you a new heart, people of God, through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, we'll go as far into our purpose and destiny, guys, as we are healed. We'll go as far into our purpose and destiny. We'll lead like Jesus as much as we live dependent on God, rather than on our own strength. And so Jesus makes a better leader than Zerubbabel. But my main point is, God is drawn to a humble heart of worship. And a contrite heart of repentance, right? Like they can have this if they choose, you know, um, the Lord in worship and prayer. And Jesus is eager to meet us. The Lord called Zerubbabel his signet ring in Zechariah's letter. And he was chosen, right? He was chosen by God, just as Solomon was chosen by God. But Jesus makes a better Zerubbabel. Jeremiah said that. The Lord would write the law on our hearts and minds through the new covenant in Jesus. And so we see too, though, Jesus said something greater than Solomon is here. So what I don't mean to do is to compare Solomon and Zerubbabel, because Solomon didn't end well either. (laughs) But Jesus is the better leader than both men. Jesus is the glory that's come to tabernacle among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and tabernacle among us. He's the glory. How many of you guys know that this, in the, this dedication of the temple and the first dedication happened at the feast, during the Feast of Tabernacles? It's one of seven Jewish holidays. Do you know that today, is the day of the Feast of Tabernacles on the Jewish calendar. Fun fact, and I think there's spiritual significance in it. We didn't plan that. (laughs) Um, And so it's it's an eight-day celebration, and it starts and ends with a Sabbath. And during this time, they remember the Lord's provision and protection in the wilderness. Okay, And so also during this time, On the seventh day, they will march around a wall seven times. 
And they will ask God to pour out His water. Pour out His rain of salvation. Pour out His Spirit. This is still practiced. This is practiced uh, in Judaism, but it's also practiced by many believers today as it was practiced in Acts and 1 Corinthians by the early church. So interesting. But anyway, they would, back to the water, they would pour out the water on, you know, or ask God to pour out His water of salvation. Guys, this is why in John 7, Jesus said, on the last day, on that seventh day of the great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, He stood up, He was practicing this festival. He stood up and he said, Come to me, you who are thirsty, and out from within you will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, this was one of these demarcation moments, right? Where he was like, I'm God. I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. Believe in and receive me in the life abundant therein. Amen? And so, Jesus makes this bold statement, and it stirs them up toward um, the end of His earthly ministry and His crucifixion. And you can understand why more now, right? If you didn't believe. (laughs) Most scholars agree that among other things, the Feast of Tabernacles is symbolic of Christ's second coming, where He'll establish His earthly kingdom. And so, we see this picture of Jesus is, and also, you know, they would, they would, during this time of asking God for water, they would remember when He provided water for them out of the rock in Mirabah in the wilderness, okay? How many of you know that Jesus is the rock who provides the water? So they, they would have all this rich, cultural, deep meaning. And when Jesus said that, they would know exactly everything He was claiming about Himself. He's the rock. He's the water. He's the glory. He is the the bread that came down from heaven. Like he said, is is, is what he was claiming. And so, when we behold him in worship and prayer, we encounter his goodness, our identity as sons and daughters, and uh, as we experience his glory, we begin to lead from him and not for him. So I want to talk to you guys about leadership for a minute. You know, leadership starts with our hearts. The heart of the leader, right? And some of you might think, well, I'm not really a leader, so this part isn't for me. But the truth is, leadership is influence. And the Lord wants, is always interested in His kingdom of expansion. Multiplication. He compares His kingdom to leaven. There are people God will put in your life to give you influence over And you will have more kingdom influence, more lasting impact, the more Jesus is leading your heart, right? And so I just want to exhort us today. Like Zerubbabel, we have an identity and a purpose and a destiny, but it's realized by the power of the Spirit of God. So our role is surrender. It's always been surrender for heart transformation. God is saying to us today, come out of her. Come out of Babylon. Come out of its harmful ways. David said, right, Lord, if there's any harmful way in me, remove it. Take not your spirit from me. You know, and um, if there's any harmful way, remove it. But yeah, God is saying, 
come out of its influences. He wants us to become whole, that we would partner with Him. Because how many of you know that Jesus builds a better temple? And we are being built, like, like Peter talks about in 1 Peter 2, and Christine talked about it last week. We are being built as a temple of the Lord, the church. And we get to contribute to partner with Him in the work. Right? Even as we are the living stones that Peter called us in that passage, we are joining God and contributing in His work. The Bible calls it koinonia. Fellowship, not just in intimacy, but in action, in the work. The glory came in Solomon's day because they caught something Zerubbabel and his people had not yet caught or been restored to. They hadn't experienced the heart change. The glory to which they responded, you are good and your love endures forever. You are good and I am loved. Your love endures forever. Oh my goodness. The experience of that. Amen. Look at what the Lord says to Solomon after the temple dedication. The Lord appeared to him, Solomon, at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attend to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So here God has given this, it's like this foreshadowing word of what will come, right? That God will always be with us. And even as he told his disciples, I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit's going to be in you, not just with you. So be glad that I'm going to the Father. Remember my main point. God is drawn to a humble heart of worship and a contrite heart of repentance. And that is what God's after in Zerubbabel and his people once again. Humility and repentance, not imitation. They didn't need a relocation and a ritual. They needed a heart transformation, right? Um, Not just to practice the words, but to respond to God's glory and the experience of Him as they repented and turned to worship and prayer as God's people. We are a house of prayer. And like Israel in the era of the second temple, we need a holistic heart transformation. We are not planted in Babylon, but the Bible says we are Jezreel, the planted of the Lord. Amen? We are God's people called to Him. And to do his works. John, if you can come up and play. As I close, I want to prophesy over us out of that Feast of Tabernacle. You know, the Lord says regarding these feasts, and this is why Christians still practice it today, some, um, some Christians. And it's because these seven festivals, these seven feasts are days of... Um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Appointed times, says Leviticus. Appointed times of the Lord. And they're also holidays or holy days or circle or coming into the fullness of time. Is what these words mean in the Hebrew. Now that's significant because the, 
the reason we observe, we observe them, we value them still, is because it's an appointed time every year of the Lord as we draw closer to the Messiah's second coming. And the appointed time, the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, is a time of overcoming sin and our enemies in more fullness, right? This side of heaven, there will be trouble. This side of heaven, there's always more. But in more fullness, this is an appointed time. A time of encountering, for some, complete freedom. And I just prophesied. There are some here who will experience complete freedom from addiction in this season, in Jesus' name. It's an appointed time for you. It's an appointed time for the Lord, from the Lord. There are some who will overcome your enemy. And your enemy is not flesh and blood. And for some, that's internal. And for some, that's external. There are some here who will experience the tangible provision of the Lord. I'll just speak it over all of us. This is a season of provision from the Lord. This is a season of overcoming our sin and the enemy. In Jesus' name. This is a season of the Lord, of experiencing the Lord's tangible protection in the name of Jesus. This is the day, this is the first day, thing, of the rainy season at this appointed time. Where they would ask the Lord, this time next Sunday, they'll be asking the Lord who observed this for rain in the time of rain on the seventh day, right? <laughs> that, <clears throat> and so I declare this is a season of experiencing the glory of the Lord in a deeper way. The Bible says we're being transformed from glory to glory. Will there be more on the other end of this time? Yes. Should the Lord tarry? Yes. <laughs> then there will be more. But it is a season of experiencing His glory in a tangible way. In Jesus' name. Um, and so let's pray together as we close. Lord God, we receive Your Word by faith. <clears throat> in Jesus' name. We thank You for freedom from addiction and from the influences of Babylon, the harmful ways of the enemy. Lord, forgive us for, and, Lord, and guys, if you, if you agree, if there's something the Holy Spirit is bringing to your heart, to your mind right now, just agree with me in your heart and, and, and pray this by faith to the Lord in your heart. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for that with which we've been complicit. Any wickedness of unbelief, even that you might be highlighting now or that we know all too well about. Lord, we ask for forgiveness and we reject and renounce it in Jesus' name. Lord, we receive the way everlasting in its place in Jesus' name. Lord, fill us with your glory. Fill us with your spirit afresh, Lord God. And I'm reminded in this time, though, that we will do greater works than you did, Jesus. Because you've gone to the right hand of the Father, you've given us your spirit, and you promised it. And we take you at your word, Lord. Lord, we receive what you have for us by way of protection and provision. And Lord, like they're doing uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles, Lord God, we thank you for the current provision of the harvest. The harvest is ripe. We ask for more workers for the harvest, Lord. And we thank you that you are making workers to build the house by your spirit, not by our mind, not by our power. You are making surrendered, laid-down lovers, your church, 
full, radiant in the fear of the Lord to work with you through a surrendered life, through a spirit-filled life. And Lord, I'm reminded uh, right now that you are our Ebenezer, an old term from the Old Testament. Lord, you are the stone of help. You are our helper. Holy Spirit, you are our paraclete, our helper, the one who carries and replaces us. And so, Lord, we just agree with heaven and say, not by might, nor by our power, but by you, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in the power and the presence of the Lord. In Jesus' name.